Usually you say goodbye before you leave, but sometimes you forget. You're listening to Motley Fool Money. I'm Ricky Mulvey. Joining us now is Bill Barker. Bill, good to see you. Thanks for having me. Big news today, Tesla's chief financial officer, Zach Kirkhorn, well, he stepped down from his role last Friday. Kirkhorn is replaced by Vebov Taneja. Usually you find out a CFO is leaving before they step down, Bill. Well, even if they are staying on throughout the end of the year, this this is a little unusual. Uh, it's a little unusual, and uh, but not not so unusual that the market seems to find it uh, terribly disconcerting. Uh, you want CFOs uh, to stick around and arrange an orderly transition and uh, all that. Uh, so the uh, you know suddenness of the announcement uh, raises some questions, but there behind the scenes there don't seem to be big questions that, that are concerning the market players yet, or big questions that. We may not know about from the outside. I mean, for newer listeners, a CF, the way a CFO steps down from a company can be a big deal. Why is this something that investors pay so much attention to? Well, in other situations, when a CF da- CFO steps down abruptly with uh, little detail about why, uh, then you're going to have questions about whether there were any financial irregularities that either the CFO was responsible for and and is uh, being pushed out or is aware of and no longer wants to uh, stick around and, and see addressed. Uh, so that's one of the things that, that would lead to an, an abrupt uh, announcement and a drop of a stock where there are questions, obvious questions that, that just don't seem to be answered, and you know, in this case, the CFO, uh, the former CFO, now is sticking around toward the end of the year. So that that removes some of the red flags about something improper going on. It, it, I think, if one were to speculate, and plenty of people are out there willing to speculate, it, it's just a uh, uh, one of the leading speculations might be, uh, I've made enough money, I've had enough headaches, I think I can do something else with my time. Yeah, an incredible job built helped build Tesla's valuation to upwards of a trillion dollars. And there's a lot of speculation, but I don't know. I still don't know why the stock is seemingly unaffected by this because you either have a superstar player leaving for an unknown reason or there's something not so great going on at the company. Right. And I, I think, as I say, if the speculation is landing upon the you know what? Uh, do you want to spend your entire life uh, with Elon Musk, uh, regardless of how much money you're making, or are some of those headaches ones that you can decide to walk away from at a certain point? I think that's a narrative that people can believe. A that he's already made enough money that you know he can choose whatever he wants to do with his life, not just Elon, but uh, the Zach uh, Kirkhorn as well. Uh, and also that uh, hanging around with Elon Musk may be something that you want, you know, to keep to a finite period of your life. You know, <laughs> once you've got all the money you want to make from that, uh, and you can just sort of do whatever you want, maybe maybe subtracting those job responsibilities from your daily, uh, you know, experience is is worth uh, worth lots. And I, I think that the stock is down a little bit, probably. You know, you've got some speculation uh, beforehand that Kirkhorn would have made 
a good CEO and was possibly uh, first in line to do that, as CFOs often are, uh, and that uh, in a world where uh, Elon Musk has six or 10 or 12 companies that he's head of or, or whatever it is today, it'd probably be more in the future than it is today, uh, he may be willing to let somebody just uh, run the business uh, while while he takes a, a sort of a lesser role or a greater role at all the other things that are on Musk's attention. So that part is gone. Uh, Kirkhorn is not going to be the next CEO. But you've got, uh, I think, a situation here also where there, the suddenness is not such that you're bringing in an interim CEO, you've, you've got a CFO. You've got You've got a CFO announced, and so it, it looks like there was more thought ahead of time than you know zero. A famously demanding employer. Hope he catches a little bit of rest. Let's move on to some earnings coverage. Eli Lilly hit an all-time high on its second quarter results this morning with positive news from its weight loss drug sales, positive research results, and its Alzheimer's treatment. Here are some highlights. The weight loss drug Manjaro posted almost a billion dollars in sales for the quarter. Lilly reported no sales from its COVID-19 antibody treatments. And earnings per share jumped 86% from the year prior. Some of that did come in part from the sale of its emergency diabetes treatment for about $580 million. Bill, what stands out to you from that? Well, given the reaction of the stock, uh, you know, the, the what we're seeing is that uh, obesity is uh, going to be around and is a, a, a bigger situation uh, than than COVID. You, you can take zero on your your COVID therapies and uh, replace it uh, comfortably with a, a billion from from obesity therapies in in the case of Manjaro, and uh, that only really begins to scratch the surface of the market opportunity for Lilly and the other. Uh, pharmaceuticals that are pursuing uh, obesity therapies, and you know, I think the the sky is the limit is is sort of what investors are uh, feeling today on where obesity uh, therapies can can scale to. Yeah, one of the big uh, issues is will insurers pay for these treatments. There's been debate back and forth, well, mostly from the insurance side, not necessarily from the drug makers or, or the patients about um, if, if insurers have a responsibility to pay for this. And there might be some increased pressure as uh, Novo Nordisk, which has a rival weight loss drug, uh, Wagovi, found that their, uh, their medication helps reduce the incidence of heart attacks, strokes, cardiovascular deaths by 20% in obese and overweight people. So, I mean, hope you, you have to hope that there is some increased pressure, but I also imagine that insurers will fight back on paying for these these treatments. Uh, yeah, I, I think insurers would just as soon um, save money and let people pay out of their own pockets for these, which they're uh, willing to do and which there's probably more societal tolerance of um, just allowing companies to charge what they can charge in the market for the obesity therapies, there isn't the same sort of moral, ethical uh, dilemma that you might see for something like Alzheimer's, where at least the you know society uh, is, is willing to put some of some or all of uh, the responsibility for addressing obesity on the, the individual, uh, which wouldn't be the case with something like Alzheimer's. Uh, nevertheless, there's billions and billions and billions of dollars 
whether it goes through insurance companies, uh, whether it goes through insurance companies only for a select, uh, you know, portion of the many obesity drugs that are out there. You, you know, you've seen stories out there about you know, the Hollywood stars getting their hands on on you know medications that are not primarily related to obesity and and taking uh, over a portion of that. So you know, you're you're not going to get a lot of uh, societal pressure on insurance companies to cover that uh, use case. Uh, but where there is a 20% reduction in, in cardiovascular disease, uh, that is going to be something that I think uh, it is, is an easier pitch in, in terms of pressuring the, the insurance companies. And some of the other treatments, there's some mixed evidence that these GLP-1 drugs can affect addictive behaviors. We'll see how those play out, but anything in the toolkit's good. Um, Eli Lilly, if the weight loss drugs weren't good enough for you, they also highlighted some evidence for the Trailblazer ALZ2 drug. It's Alzheimer's drug, which in a phase three trial showed that it significantly slowed cognitive and functional decline in people with early symptomatic Alzheimer's disease, expects regulatory action by the end of 2023. This is just one reason, Bill, or two primary reasons, I should say, that Eli Lilly, the drug maker founded in 1876, is now trading at a price-to-earnings multiple higher than Tesla. Uh, yeah, that is quite a uh, data point, and uh, it's uh, mitigated somewhat by the fact that the uh, sales for uh, as soon as next year and the earnings uh, are scaling so fast uh, at, at Lilly that uh, the, the trailing uh, Earnings per share multiple might be in the 80s, but the forward multiple is is closer to 40 because uh, earnings per share next year, right now, and that was uh, the the data from before today's extremely good report from Lilly uh, indicated that there would be upwards of $12 a share on a uh, now $500 a share stock. So uh, that earnings per share expectation for 2024 uh, is likely to bump up. And get more into the thirteen, maybe better than that dollars per share. So, the forward multiple is is a little a little bit more palatable at say forty times earnings. Still, still awfully optimistic, but right now Lily is in the middle of you know creating optimistic beliefs that are you know it's 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 meeting from quarter to quarter. And I mean, showing positive results for a phase three Alzheimer's drug is. Is, is going to give a lot of people reasons to be optimistic, and I, I hope they can continue. Let's move to Restaurant Brands International, the owner of Tim Hortons, Burger King, Popeye's Chicken, and Firehouse Subs. RBI reported strong sales growth. They seem to have no, no trouble pulling people in, especially with those limited time offers. Tim Hortons offering a barbecue crispy chicken flavor bowl and sparkling quenchers. Burger King had the Spider-Verse Whopper with Swiss cheese and a lovely red bun. And Burger King is also in the middle of this, you know, four hundred million dollar turnaround plan. Maybe with those limited time offers, taking market share for the first time in three years. When you think about these trends in this business, is this the kind of candidate company for a, a ballast position in a portfolio? One you're not expecting a ton of growth from, but has some long lasting tailwinds. Well, certainly people have to eat every day, so that's a good uh, thing to have in your business is uh, supplying something that is a, a daily uh, intake. Uh, you know, in the U.S., uh, across the brands, uh, 
inflation uh, was a good chunk of uh, where the same store sales growth came from. Traffic uh, for the U.S. operations, uh, I think, was actually flat to a little bit negative uh, across Popeyes, uh, Burger King, and Firehouse for the quarter uh, over last year. Uh, but as you mentioned, uh, it was the international sales, uh, particularly Tim Hortons, uh, which is is doing the, the best job growing its menu, supplying uh, more choices for people to uh, dine there in the uh, afternoon uh, or evening, not just coming in for their coffee and a donut, uh, but coming back uh, for, for lunch options and, and for cold brews, uh, things that, you know, Starbucks has been dining out on for a long time. And uh, Tim Hortons has, uh, uh, for a, a major operation uh, that it is, it still has, has room to catch up with uh, what the trends have been for a while. You also have to question how hard you really have to try with the, the limited time offers. Um, in the case of Burger King, they brought people in with a, a vanilla sundae that just has red and black Pop Rocks candy on top of it. And I guess dyeing a button red in honor of the Spider-Man movie is also enough to to get people in the door. I mean, you have to wonder where the marketing teams, you know, arrived at. Whether somebody sort of got the tie-in uh, with the the Spider-Verse movie and then handed off and said, "Do something with this. Can you make some of our food red and or blue?" Uh, or, or black in, in the case of uh, the, the newer Spider-Man's costume. So I think that, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's a hodgepodge of ideas rather than a smooth blend of, a na- it's not natural, right? You don't naturally think of Spider-Man and hamburgers going together. Uh, but uh, Americans and, and fast food dining Americans are uh, creative enough and willing enough to expand uh, the you know, the associations of these things to, uh, you know, allow Burger King to get away with it, I guess. Yeah. And I mean, why stop at red dye? You have a, you have a whole color universe of options to expand into. Um, one other trend really affecting this business is that nobody wants to eat inside the restaurant. According to data from market research firm Circana and a story in the Wall Street Journal, diners are eating just 14% of fast food orders in a restaurant. In 2015, it was 22%. And yet, Restaurant Brands International is encouraging Burger King owners to spend uh, thousands and thousands of dollars to, to renovate these, lo- these locations with operators picking up most of the tab on those reno- uh, renovation bills. Uh, you know, I, I can certainly understand trying to do something to make dining in more attractive uh, because that's really not the part of the experience that uh, I think many people uh, think is 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 a positive. Uh, maybe that's as, as simple as just increasing uh, internet connectivity uh, at, at some of these locations, trying to get people to sit down for a while uh, and and think of Burger King as a place to hang out uh, for for some period of time. Uh, and I'm sure that it's been a while since they've upgraded some of the facilities based on uh, very little study of the issue uh, by myself. But I can imagine that, that it would not take long to go through uh, tens and hundreds of millions of dollars uh, simply upgrading things which haven't been touched in a decade. And for what it's worth, of all the fast food review videos that I've watched in preparation for this, for this segment, 
no one was consuming on site and quite a few people are eating burgers and shakes in their cars which i understand doing that if you're on the move but if you're in, you're in a parked car i don't see the the reason to get all of that you know excess food bits inside the driver's seat yeah that's one of the downsides the upside is that you don't have to be in the restaurant and uh, obviously people are voting uh if, if not with their feet with their gas pedals uh on on that choice and uh you know it just creates a uh, you know more uh more business for the the mini vacuum producers i guess let's let's hit this story um zoom has told employees that if they live within 50 miles of an office those employees need to show up 2 days a week little bit of irony here bill because uh this is kind of the company that really helped with that remote work situation what do you think zoom learned uh, I think Zoom, if if uh, has probably learned one that they hired too many people, uh, and this is uh, an additional way to uh, get people to to leave. Perhaps is if they are unwilling to come into the office, uh, this will be a, a bit of an employee reduction, and that there is uh, plenty of work that is better done in person um, and supplemented by Zoom. Uh, there isn't any work that I can think of, which is best done on Zoom, um, better accomplished there than than in person. There's plenty of work which can be done, I think, uh, to varying degrees almost as well. And there's some work that can't be done nearly as well. And two days a week uh, seems to me to be a pretty small ask. And if they can get the rest of the world to sign on to two days a week uh, as a minimum, Everybody's still going to have to use Zoom or a competing product uh, for the other 60% of the week. Uh, so I don't think it really hurts for them to advertise uh, their understanding that their business and their uh, employee morale, perhaps, um, you know, is improved by, you know, a hybrid work culture rather than a solely Zoom culture. Yeah, I think I think more folks are learning about the trade-offs where, you know, early in the pandemic, there was these economics papers about how um, no productivity has been lost. And it's in part because people are working longer hours. And then the flip side of that, which there's more research being done now, is that it's because employees weren't spending time like mentoring younger employees. So it became increasingly difficult for for younger folks on the job how to how to how to do it and, and learn about the culture in their organization. So I think I think there's a few few factors at play here. Yeah, I, th- I think Zoom is making the right move here. And as I say, they're they're not really turning their backs on uh, the utility of their technology uh, because the, the you know the implication is that if they are successful in this two days a week, there will be an office culture and the benefits of uh, working together in person uh, and the rest of the time there's they're still relying on zoom so i think that there's they're one of the many companies that is uh leaning more toward that kind of mix as time goes by i don't see an avalanche of it happening but uh you know certainly certainly uh it's the trend we'll see how it goes bill barker appreciate your time and your insight Thanks. Thanks for having me. As always, people on the program may have interests in the stocks they talk about, so don't buy or sell anything based solely on what you hear. 
Thanks for listening. I'm Ricky Mulvey. We'll be back tomorrow.